0: Yo, can we get some batteries for this thing? It's going to go. My life. What? He has been faithful. All my life, he has been faithful. In those struggles, in those sense of abandonment, he was faithful. He is good. I don't know if you understand yet or not, but most of the songs that we've been doing for about the last month, these guys wrote. Some of them, they got together, had a riding camp. I don't know. How many, what are you up to now? Fourteen in a month? God's so good. He is faithful. I want to read a verse to you in Ephesians. Surprise, surprise. We've been talking about the wonder of God, and specifically the wonder of God's love. Boy, that's deep. That is so rich. Uh, And I want to read this to you out of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, that he would grant you not according to your faithfulness, not according to your effort, not according to how hard you try, but that he would grant to you according to the riches of of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may find a home in your hearts. That's what dwell means. Christ would find a home in your hearts, a safe place, a resting place, a place of comfort, a place of peace, a home. So that Christ may find a home, may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses Knowledge. Get the wording there. I want you to know something that surpasses knowing. The wonder of God's love. I want you to know the love which surpasses knowledge. We have this knowledge that we have formulated of what God's love is like. Paul says, I want you to experience God's love beyond what you have concluded to be true about God's love. I want you to experience God's love in a way that challenges what you think you know about God's love. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be lifted up To all the fullness of God. How are we going to be full of God? Talk about formulas. How do you get full of God? Well, you do this and you stand on one leg and you lift your hand and you say thing and you do this and you say this and you, and you, you promise this. That's not how to be full of the fullness of God. The way to be full of the fullness of God is to experientially know the love of God that surpasses understanding. We have to get beyond our understanding in order to experience the love of God. And when we experience the love of God, it challenges our understanding. And that's what God's doing. He's doing it for me. He is challenging my understanding. With his experience, with the experience of the awe and wonder of his love. I want to read something to you. I, I can't remember <clears throat> if I wrote this. I, I've been doing a lot of reading the last few weeks and it may be a compilation of things I've read and, and, and things that I, that I just wrote. I'll read this to you. For many of us, Our Christian life consists of us limping through life on childhood memories of Sunday school. Read that again. For many of us, our Christian life consists of limping through life on childhood memories of Sunday school. Or, locked in a time warp of some past revival or move of God and resolutely refuse the challenge of growth and spiritual maturity today. I'll read that again. For many of us, our Christian life consists of limping through life on childhood memories of Sunday school or locked in a time warp of some past revival or move of God and resolutely refuse the challenge of growth and spiritual maturity. And in doing so, we miss out on the wonder of God in the now. Early on, without realizing it, we form a theology of what we believe about God. And it usually doesn't change. Now, I know, and we've talked about this before, you say, well, God doesn't change. Well, that's correct. But it's kind of like if I took you and blindfolded you and put you in a room with an elephant. And you've never seen an elephant. And I took you to the back of the elephant, and I took his tail, and I handed it to you, and you held on to it blindfolded, and I said, this is an elephant. You've got an elephant in your hands. You could come to the conclusion that an elephant is this long, stringy thing. And then I could take you around to the front of him and I could put his trunk in your hand and I could say, this is an elephant. Well, he must be a long stringy thing that's narrow at one end and bigger at the other end. That's an elephant. Or I could say, this isn't an elephant. An elephant is a skinny thing with a little bushy deal on the end of it. And then I could take you to his legs and I'd put your arms around one of his legs, this is an elephant. He has four of these. No, 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 no. That's not an elephant. And the issue, the, 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 the representation is the elephant never changes. The elephant's the elephant. But what changes is my perspective of the elephant. I see a larger expression of the elephant. And when that happens, my foregone conclusion of what an elephant like has to change, or I'm going to not see what an elephant is really like. God is that way with us. We have a foregone conclusion of what God is like. We have a foregone conclusion of how God deals with us. We have a foregone conclusion about how God loves us, about who God loves, about what God loves And we formulate that in our mind and this is what God is like and this is what his love is like. And in doing so, we lose the wonder as God reveals more of himself to us. He's more than just a tail. He's more than just a trunk. He's more than just a leg. He fills the earth with his presence. He is God and there is none like it. And that perspective that we form becomes our reality it's what we believe to be real it's what we believe to be true it's interesting we've been talking about reality today one of the songs talks about I want to find your reality we've all formed our reality about what God is like I read this statement this week it said Genuine, deep character change will never take place in our life until we change our basis for reality. And that is true about God. Until we're willing to say about our reality, maybe there's more that I don't have contained in this. Maybe God is bigger than I think he is. Maybe God doesn't deal with me the way I have thought he deals with me. Maybe what I've thought of was God in my life wasn't God at all. There's a possibility, like we talked about last week. If I go through life believing that I have a full understanding of God's love, I have all the understanding there is. Or if I go through life believing that what I believe is, can never be incorrect, I'm going to miss out on the wonder of God because the wonder of God can't be contained in my mind. He can't be contained in my understanding. And if I'm going to experience a deeper expression of the nature of God and of his love, my basis for reality is going to have to shift. It's going to have to change. For many of us, our basis for reality is how we feel. It's not true unless I feel it, and if I feel it, it's true because I would never feel something that's not true, and so we go through life evaluating all of life by how we feel. I don't feel good about that. I feel good about that. I'm not sure I feel right about that. This just doesn't feel very good at all. I don't feel like I like you very much. You've made me feel a certain way. And our whole basis of reality is contingent upon how we feel, never understanding that the vast majority of what we feel can be based on a lie. And we miss it. That's our basis for reality. For many of us, our basis for reality is our intellect. I can't figure it out. It ain't true. He said last week, remember, mystery embarrasses the 20th century man because he can't figure it out. Can't have no reality. Can't have no mystery. Got to know how it works. And if I don't know how it works, I'm going to pretend I know how it works. And if I have to pretend how it works, I have to convince you I know how it works even if I don't know how it works. You see how it works? It's all contained in my mind. It's all contained in what I understand. If I can't understand, last week we dealt with some things about forgiveness that challenged what you believe about forgiveness. And you're thinking, that can't be right because I believe this. And if we hold on to that, we lose the wonder of what God is like because God is constantly revealing himself. They just discovered not too long ago. Another galaxy. How they figure that out, I don't have any idea. They discovered another galaxy. You know how far away it is? 227 trillion miles away. And they can't find anything there. I can tell you what's there. God's there. God's there but if I have a God that's a mile wide and an inch deep, I'm never going to open myself up to the possibility that there's more of God's love than I've ever realized. And I don't understand it, but I know it to be true. For some of us, it's the things we think. and how we think. We made the comparison last week. that our expression of love is contingent on our ability to forgive. If we can't forgive, we can't say we love. Remember we talked in Luke chapter 7 where he said about the woman, he who is forgiven much loves much. He who is forgiven little loves little. I think it's interesting. He didn't qualify what it is he loves. I think it means if you realize you have forgiven much, you're going to love God more. You're going to love yourself more. And you're going to love other people more. Brennan Manning says this, the heart enveloped in the tenderness of God passes that tenderness around indiscriminately, making no distinction between the worthy and the unworthy. Read that again. The heart enveloped in the tenderness of God passes that tenderness around indiscriminately, making no distinction between the worthy and the unworthy. Wonder is saturated in mystery. It's not having a final conclusion in any possible way about the love of God, about what God is like. Not knowing, listen to me, not knowing and believing are not incompatible. We think I gotta know. I have to know to, I have to know to be able to trust God. I have to know this, I have to know that. No, you don't. Not if you are aware of Him. We can rest. We can release it. Living in the wonder of God brings such security to my heart that I don't have to control everything anymore because I know the one that controls it. And if I don't have to control it, there's no pressure on me to make sure everybody else does right. So I can let people be themselves. And I can love them even though they're themselves because I am saturated, my heart has become saturated with the tenderness of God, and I'm so aware of that, I just want to give you tenderness. I just want to give you love. But if I have this predisposition about what the love of God is really like, God, you know, this is what God loves. Let me tell you who God loves. God loves everybody I love. He don't care for the people I don't care for. What we come to realize, God loves. That's what we don't realize. God loves. God loves. How do we regain our wonder once we've lost it? How do we capture the wonder of God and the wonder of his love in our heart? when we have been so conditioned to operate out of what we know or what we feel? How do we capture that again? How do we capture the release of that pressure and that insecurity and that shame and that guilt and that fear that we bear day in and day out? How do we release that and capture the wonder that here is a God (coughs) that not only loves me, he likes me? And I don't have to jump through hoops to get him to like me. I don't have to jump through hoops to get him to forgive me. He likes me. And the pressure that that releases in my heart helps me release others to be able to just love them. How do we recapture that? The best example I found, we talked about this in home group the other day, is Job. You're going, Job? What are you kidding? I want you to look over there with me in Job. Good old Job. Poor old Job. You know the story of Job. Interesting story. Job lost everything. Okay? I mean, first two chapters are Job just getting wiped out. And then when you think he could get wiped out anymore, he gets wiped out some more. All right. And, 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 and his three friends come dumb, dumber and dumbest. I mean, they come. Okay. And they travel. And when they see how distraught Job is, they just start weeping. They tear their clothes. They sit down in the dust, throw dirt on their heads. And don't say a word for seven days and seven nights. Now, how do you explain that to your neighbors? You got three guys sitting in your front yard covered in dust, ripping their clothes, weeping for you. Now, they would have done better had they stayed in that position. But they, like us, felt like they had to come and comment on Job's suffering. They had to explain why. They had to reveal to him why. Can't be a mystery. Got to have an answer. Got to know why. And I mean they covered the gamut. Well, you've sinned, and God's punishing you. Well, it's just the way the world works. Well, it's this. Well, it's that. Well, it's this. Well, there's this. And they had all of these explanations about why all this stuff had happened to Job. Job kind of got in on it, too. Yeah, but there's this, and then there's that, and I didn't do this, and I didn't do that. He began to justify, yeah, but this and all of that. And it went on and on and on. And finally, in Job chapter 40, it says this. The Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, now gird up your loins like a man. I will instruct you, and you instruct me. And then he asked him some questions. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Or do you have an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with eminence and dignity and clothe yourself with honor and majesty. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and make him low. And he goes on and on and on. You know what he's doing? He is declaring his wonder to Job. He's saying, Job, you just think you got this figured out. You just think you can come to a conclusion and have an understanding about this. But Job, I want you to see the God that's dealing with you and the God you're dealing with. And it blew Job's doors off. He goes on and on, all the way through chapter 41. And then in the beginning of chapter 42, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? And then Job said, I love these two sentences. Therefore I have declared that which I do not understand things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. God I've been talking about things I have no idea about. What happened to Job? He became undone. Everything he thought he knew, he discovered he didn't know nothing. Everything he thought he figured out, he thought he had it all figured out. And God revealed his wonder. And Job's response was, I don't have a clue. Let me paraphrase this. I like this paraphrase. It says, Things I have spoken of are from the things I believe. That's Joe. I'm only telling you the things that I believe. And the things that I believe are the things that have shaped who and what I think I am. And I was wrong about it all. I love that. You talk about undone. He says, hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. He says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. I am undone. I don't know what I know. I'm sure I don't know what I think I know. As a matter of fact, I don't know nothing. Until you show me. Once I've seen you, once I've seen your wonder, everything has changed. It's all undone. You tell me. You show me. You shape me. And show me what's reality. Here's what's interesting. Job never found out why. All that stuff happened to him. He never did. He never got an answer. He never knew the devil did it. He never knew. But you know what? It didn't matter. Because he was captured by the wonder of the Father. He was embraced by the one that he knew knew. Only God and wonder and his wonder was enough. He never came to a conclusion about what happened to him. That's an awareness of the wonder of God. You're awesome, Father. Your love is beyond comprehension. Your love is beyond anything I know. And we tied that last week, we made that correlation there with with forgiveness feeling forgiven, knowing we're forgiven, being forgiveness, extending forgiveness to other people. And that's one of the big issues that we're looking at here. One of the biggest realities that we have that is askew, that is off, is what I believe about how God deals with me and how he treats me. We have an understanding. We, we look at life. That's God. That's not God. God did that. God didn't do this. We have, you know, insurance has acts of God. You ever notice an act of God is never somebody got healed. An act of God is always a tornado or a hurricane or a storm or a hailstorm. I mean, boy, God's hacked, folks. If that's the way he's going to deal with us, no wonder he doesn't have any friends. But we have this perception about how God deals with us, especially whenever we've blown it for the 3,497th time. Well, God's this, God's that. God works, God deals with us about this stuff. I want to read a verse to you. This is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Okay, we get that. We know God don't want us to sin. All right. But he thanks for reminding us, John. We know God doesn't want us to sin. Every time we sin, I know God doesn't want me to sin. Every time after I've sinned, I know God didn't want me to sin. Okay, that's good. All right. But I do. Then he says, and if anyone sins, okay, that's me. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I'm writing this so you won't sin, but if you do sin, I want you to know something. You have an advocate. Now, that word advocate, you know, if, unless you have any kind of legal understanding <clears throat> literally it means uh to want to come to one's aid uh, in a court of justice to denote a legal assistant or a defense counsel and it pleads another's case okay but here's the word that i like that it's it's really translated it it is the same word in John 14:16 John 15:26 and John 16:7 when Jesus talks about the holy spirit come is coming you know what word he uses Comforter. Comforter. What's God's attitude towards me when I blow it? He sends the comforter. I mean, the God you see, did he ever show up with a blanket and hot tea, cocoa, arms extended to comfort me? Is that the God you see? For many of us, that's not the God we see. It's like, got you now. See, you stupid. You did it again. I told you you were going to do it again. I'm so glad you did it again. I'm going to really wear you out. You got to feel bad for a long time now because you've sinned again. You got to go in the penalty box. You've got to stand over there and just you can't be used till I decide. And you, it's a mystery of how long it's going to take, but you'll feel it. Then it's time to come out. How many of us, when we blow it, lift up our eyes to the Father and say, thank you for the Comforter who's come to embrace me when I sinned. Most of us not. Think about that. But when you sin, I'm going to send the comforter. He's going to be there. He's going to comfort you. He's not going to come to make you feel bad about yourself. He comes to comfort you. Because he who is forgiven much loves much. Not he who is judged much loves much. Not he who is condemned much loves much. He who is loved much, forgiven much, loved much, and the comforter is coming alongside of you, even after us, not even after, especially after you've blown it. John nowhere wrote, if you get it right 10 times in a row, the comforter is coming. Make you feel good about it. If you promise never to do it again, the comforter will come and see to it that you can stick to that. That's not what he said. He said, when you sin, when you sin, the comforter comes. He's there to embrace you and to comfort you and to stand alongside of you. See, we've got this idea that when we sin, God leaves. Oh, God's gone now. What do I have to do to get him back? Here he says, when you sin, the comforter comes. He's there to comfort you and embrace you. Do you see God that way? Is your awareness of his love that way? Or when you sin, do you look for a place to hide? When you sin, do you look for a fig leaf? When you sin, do you look for a sacrifice? When you sin, do you look for how to jump through the hoops to get back in good graces with God? Or when you sin, do you see the comforter embracing you and holding and saying, I know, I know, I knew before you knew, I know we're going to get through this. I'm going to strengthen you and we're going to go on. But if our reality is God's out to get me, I'm going to run like crazy from him. But if my reality is when I blow it, the comforter comes, my reality is going to be where can I find him? Where can I go to him? Where can I hear what he has to say? Because I'm pretty sure what he has to say as a comforter is going to be good news. I'll tell you something, folks. The stuff that we live in ain't good news. Good news is when you sin, there's a comforter comfort you. Oh, he's not going to leave you in that condition. But that's the whole idea of the comfort. To lead you on, to walk with you, to go on. The wonder of God. How awesome is that? My heart's desire, my prayer is that you would come to know, comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. I want you to know God beyond your conclusion of what God is like. And in order for that to happen, I must come undone. And by doing that, I come to the reality of, I don't know. Show me, God. I want your word to be my reality, but I don't want my interpretation of your word to be my reality. I want what the spirit of truth shows me to be my reality. And that's what he's come to do is to lead us. into remember what truth in the Greek, another translation for truth is reality. The law came through Moses. Grace and reality came through Jesus. Jesus came as the the visible image of an invisible God. That's what God is like, Jesus. That's reality. That's reality. He's the comforter. Amen? That's good news, folks. That'd make a backslidden Presbyterian shout. Okay? Father, we just thank you that you're faithful all of our life to bring us to this point. That you have not given up on us. That you've not quit pursuing us. Thank you that you have embraced us and loved us in the middle of all of our foregone conclusions about you. Were you grieved? Probably. Was your spirit quenched? Most likely. But you never quit loving us. And you never quit liking us. Work that reality in our heart that we can live in the awareness of the good news And that we have good news to share with those that are getting their brains beat out by the accuser of the brethren. Whether they be Christians or whether they be lost. Reveal your love to us. Let us see it's not like what we think it is. We bless you for being so good. Thank you, Father. Jesus' name. Questions? Let it sit. Let it rest.